Welcome back to Driving to Pretoria with me, your host, Nick Rabinowitz. My guest on this particular episode could write a book about driving away from Pretoria. In fact, she kind of has. It's called Hitler, Favort, Mandela and Me. Not me, but her. She is a recovering Roman Catholic author, satirist, columnist, journalist, writer, ghostwriter, semi-retired stand-up comedian and general badass. Many credit her with helping save South Africa from the jaws of the Gupta family. She is one of the smartest, bravest, funniest people I know. Please enjoy this rambling discussion with the brilliant, razor-sharp-witted and thoroughly ungovernable Marianne Tam. Welcome, Marianne Tam, journalist, writer, ghostwriter, translator, blogger, satirist, editor, columnist, author, and uh, semi-retired stand-up comedian. Mm. Yeah. It's a lot, eh? It's a lot. It's a lot. It is a there lot. There was no meds for ADHD when I was in the 20th century, <laughs> except work. Um, you are half, half Portuguese, half German. I'm not sure if this is your Twitter bio, I can't remember. Half Portuguese, half German, recovering Roman Catholic, mm. atheist, lesbian, immigrant. Mm. And I would say semi-anarchist. As well, probably. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And I know this because I've known you for a long time. That And my friend Lawrence Hamburger, when he turned 14, he just turned 50. He said he wanted to stick around another 10 years just mm. to see how weird it was going to get. Yeah. But I know part of you, and part of me as well, just wants to see it all burn. Um, uh, uh, look, I mean, I do worry about when I look at Berlin uh, in 1945 and those flight overs, those things that fly over there. I mean, I don't know what the Freudian reason is for that. And I'd see that footage. There's something quite amazing about everything just ground zero. You've got to start again. There's no pretense. Mm. There's no bullshit. You've got to own up to what you've done. This is it. Um, so there's something, you know, about restarting but it's not going to happen so you have to restart in pockets or try and or keep working you can't stop yeah you know so but stop what what is it one's doing you know can i just say that it is lovely to see you and i don't think i've very seen nice you for a very you very very you've got beautiful eyes nick long time. i mean i'm being i'm being i think it's the, green into, jersey. it's the green i thought i'd lost it i have a I'm relative so in monte carlo who was my dad's cousin but wasn't actually because we discovered she was adopted but that was much later but she has sent me a jersey every birthday for the last from monte carlo from monte carlo for say for the last decade and they've all been three sizes too big for me so my friend luke young uh, has inherited he might even be wearing one of the jerseys there well when can i meet her um, well, we, we'll have to go to Monte Carlo. Okay. Did you go? To, you went uh, just before COVID lockdown. You, you you were just telling me now you went to an international journalists conference. Yeah, I was supposed to be, you know, hush, hush, secret, secret, but, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, because well, everybody was worried that if you've got all the world's investigative journalists all in one place at and one then, time and you blow up that building. So I live with a wonderful constant sense of that at any moment I might get shot, followed, blown up. Keeps one on the keeps you on your toes. We've got cameras. I know this because we normally meet, uh, and I don't want to mention the, the the name of the coffee shop, but you have a particular <laughs> place where you sit with your back. To you the reminded world. me of Radovan Kretscher, the, yeah, the Czech yeah. fugitive who yeah. sat in that in the corner uh, restaurant. And Paul O'Sullivan with a Guinness after Radovan got jailed, and Paul said he was 
100% responsible for it. No, no, no. So, so yes, I went, I went to, I went to just before, before uh, COVID, BC. Um, we had no idea. Apparently it was everywhere in Europe, especially Italy. I mean, it was all there. And we came from South Africa. We sort of heard of this, ah, SARS, what is it? Is it animals, pigs, chickens, what is it? We've got too much of our own trauma. Yeah. You know, and I'm busy with this shit and we're meeting all these journalists and some of them are like people I admire and Bellingcat and they followed the cripple poisoners because in Russia, the four agents got passports issued it with consecutive numbers and they traveled across Europe and arrived, you know, and so... Uh, at least in Russia, the journalists say that there is Tatiana in administration. Because I said in South Africa, there's fucking no one sitting in administration. Yes. We don't know where the money is. We, we don't know. We, nobody signs for the passports. You just come and go. Is Tatiana the gymnast that Putin is dating? Could be, or, could be yeah. Tatiana, but yeah. there's the Tatiana the in rhythmic, admin. Rhythmic, she's a rhythmic gymnast. Oh, His, no, don't don't yes. go there. Oh, in no, fact, don't. But Putin. Often in, uh, like in, in the bedroom, she'll say, Putin, 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 Putin. <laughs> She's rhythmic. She is. But I don't think she works in admin. That's another Tatiana. It could be her sister. Could be. But it was amazing to listen to the Russian journalists talk about what it's like to, to live in Putin's Russia and to look at this extraordinary new world that's opened up on the internet. What is this virtual world that we live in uh, and how do we make sense of how it has affected global politics? Because by then, Putin's bitch was president of America. Mm. You know what I mean? We were in deep trouble. Um, you know, I mean, Mr. Golden Showers. You know, so this thing had got out of hand in South Africa. Just well, look, we We've lived with this sort of Trump for a long time. We know. So they were very impressed with the South African journalists because we stopped the nuclear deal. Well, we didn't, but I mean, a tiny little environmental group which passed off Putin. Yes. But the Russians would look at us. Was that Kumi Nailu's little guy. environment group? With, uh, no, uh, is it Kumi? Who's the other? Uh, yeah. With a priest. And no, a, no, no, it wasn't. No. It was some small, tiny little NGO Quakers, people okay. that you never look at. Because I did a gig for them. And I suddenly thought maybe I was part of saving the country. You but could, no, well, I you probably have been. But they're Quakers. They're kind of people that you don't see in the supermarket. You don't know what Quakers are. They don't, you don't, no. can't pick up a Quaker. So they did it. They quietly did it. And some other, I mean, I should know the names, but I've got too much in my head. There's so much many. in your head. You, uh, I think you have more in your head than, than anyone else I know, in fact. And whenever I want to know, because uh, as a father of uh, three children who, who no longer uh, reads uh, like I did when I was making satirical um, comedy every day, I would know what was going on. Mm. And so now whenever I see you, I'd sort of download um, exactly what's going on because you do have spies everywhere. Is that right? Well, you know, more than that, I've got, I've had to learn to, in my head, hold on to several narratives. So I've got the SARS narrative when it, when it hit the fan. I was in that trench with the SARS narrative, knowing who... For the, for the average uh, comedy fan listening, the SARS narrative, now are we talking... South we're African not talking, Revenue Service. Okay, we're the not Rouge talking unit. communicable disease here. No, no, Take no, your no, mind we, off that. We're talking about Rouge units and, and, the, and, Rouge and, and units. the whole plot behind the yes. scenes to sort of... Get Get rid of was target. that Van Lochenberg and, and the rogues and Pile and, and, like, and that intelligence report on? Yes. I mean, Gordon has had t- moving target Gordon, on his yes. back yeah. for like a very long time. So I was found myself in the middle of that. Deeply so when, confusing for the average citizen. It is, but yeah. once you're there, you have to then you have to do it like a poem. You've got to internalize that that narrative as much as you find it because you have to. You, it, it takes time to find what the dots are, as, as Pravin keeps saying, join the dots, which yes. is what I was doing behind the scenes. You so have to close the nose when yeah, you, as we discovered on the news. Yeah, that's right. We did when, that. Uh, when a white guy could still do an Indian man's voice yeah. for a puppet. I, join the dots. So, so myself and other journalists were, were in that thing 
joining the dots. Uh, but then you've got you've got a whole lot of other. You've got the Gupta leaks, which suddenly I got a computer. That's what they broke into my house to try and take the other night. Good luck to them. The Gupta leaks was 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 your team basically. Somebody. What well, was the Amabungani team? Amabungani. One day the real story. The real story is sort of out there, but I'm not going to tell and we it. You can't let it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it was all legal. It was just got to do with like you know people who are too snook to pay for a repair and take it to a shop and. That's right. There we go. That's right. And and for I, the hard drive. Yep. Yes. So so anyway, it comes to our hands, and suddenly I have to really be an investigative journalist. I can't just tell everyone I'm doing it. I'm on a team with people who, when you put that spreadsheet on the wall and you look at where the money's gone, and it's just like thousands of shelf companies and millions of flows. So we decided that the forensic journalists would do that because I, I mean, basically, as I said to you earlier on, I know six noughts is a million, like Tokyo. I don't know what to say. Twelve notes are because mm. yesterday Tokyo said there's twelve notes on that money that's ours. Yes, being started. So I just said, look, I'll do the narratives. We'll do that. So I found a lot of really nice stories in between the journalists who are narrative journalists. Who I mean, I can't forensically chase the money unless I get allowed to sit for six months with a program that can follow it. So that's what happened. You had journalists working who have that capacity as forensic people who can follow the money and then others who could tie in the characters and what happened. I mean, one of my favorite characters I found was just typical of me as a Mr. Zuma, the only Mr. Zuma who said no to the Guptas. And he had been brought to Saxon world, I think, through Zuma, because he must have been a relative who was needing mm-hmm. work. And so somebody said he can sit as a security guard at the gate, at the Guptas. That's his job. So he was there working at the gate. Excuse me. We are trying to make a podcast. Yeah, the hardy dogs are needy. If you do that, Jesus. they will come in. There will be a lot of them at the window. Don't do it. They come back. They're like Portuguese people. They talk loud. <laughs> so... Where was it? You see, this is the other thing. Mr. Zuma at the gate. Yes, Mr. Zuma at the gate. So there's like an email from somebody writing, complaining. You know, some big wig person arrived at the gates and asked this Mr. Zuma, can they see the Guptas? And he was busy playing Candy Crush or he was chatting to someone and he wasn't on his post and the Guptas were very... uh, I think they called him a monkey, actually. That's that's exactly what it was. That's right. Actually, exactly that. So one of the brothers, we also one of the brothers, and then at the Zondo, he always says, which one? And then you can see people... Not quite sure. But yeah. anyway, one of the brothers came down and in this, this is a, these are emails from the security company and complaints that this Mr. Zuma basically said, no, I'm like, who are you? I'm not on duty now. What's this? You know, so he's, one of the Gupta brothers came down and shouted at yes. this Mr. Zuma and apparently just stood his ground. He also said to him he wants to drive the cars. Like, why can't he be a chauffeur? You know, no, so, we only let poor white guys yeah, drive so, the cars. So the, the, uh, the company says, you know, Mr. Mr. Zuma is insisting that he should also drive the cars, but he doesn't have a license. Yeah, that quasi stuff. Yes. You know? So I just love finding those kind of little stories. And then you have, you'd find stuff like the, uh, was it Alicia Keys or, I don't know, Beyonce was supposed to come. And then what they do is like they mail the stars and say, we want you to come do a gala performance here. And then the stars mail back their requirements. Yeah. You know, only sparkling water from Mount the rider. Vesuvius. Yes. You yes, know, yes, uh, yes. Yeah, the rider. Jack Parra has to have, uh, I think it's um, Jägermeister, a bottle of Jägermeister and the brandy, of course. Which brandy? Oh, probably balls. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds I remember good. seeing that. I went backstage Richelieu, and he had all of that. I had a bottle of sparkling water mm. and Jack Parra had an entire bar. Yeah. It's like, I've been doing this wrong for 10 years. Well... Yeah, you know. So anyway, so, so it was, it was, it's amazing to sort of decide where do we, where do we start? So, I mean, I must admit, I think myself and Rebecca started with sex. I mean, because that's always going to turn up something. Ah. 
And indeed it did. But, I mean, you get a hard drive and there's, what, like a, a million... Oh, 500,000 emails. 500,000 yeah. emails. Yeah. And you get a little WhatsApp from your editor saying, well, if your house should be raided, just chuck it out the window. Stand on it. Jump on it. Because uh, yeah, you can't flush a hard drive. No, you can't flush a hard drive. And then, like, you have to tell your family. Oh, by the way, <laughs> you know. So what I did in the beginning, because, I, I mean, I've got an apartheid mentality. So, like, when they broke into my house recently and they took my computers, I know the apartheid police would have killed my dog. They would have done something ugly. Yes. Cracked on my bed or just ugly stuff. These guys just gloves in, out. What did they take? My computers. Just my work computers. Right. But good luck to them. 2014 Mac battery doesn't work anymore. Plug it in <laughs> during lockdown. I have to say I'm offline. Sorry. You know, so this belongs to work. So it's good luck to them. They're going to open that thing and they're going to think, woo, just crack it. And then it's just going to go black. Yeah. And they're going to, oh shit. And then they're going to have to put the plug in. An old fashioned one, which you can't find anymore. And then it's going to have to wait because it takes a long time to get back up again. And then it reboots. And then there's two layers of security, very weird security codes that you have to memorize, you know. So good luck to them. I think they're just going to take the hard drive out and try because since they stole it, I've been like, find my Mac, you know. Yes. The first night was a bit embarrassing because I came home, I saw that broken in, my family wasn't there. I turned on my phone, I went, find my Mac. And then I found the cops and then I found my editor. And as I was doing that, I suddenly saw on my find my phone that my Mac was heading down Newlands Avenue very fast. So I left the doors open, got in my car, put the lights on and with a knob kitty, looked for my computer and then it suspiciously stopped outside Saks near Montebello for a long period of time I then got out and thought shit it's in the bins and so I opened the lunatic woman in the middle of the night just like ah, ah. Uh, and then I realized you were finding your phone not yesterday your Mac. now I was finding my Mac yesterday because what it was doing was it was it was like reloading what do you call uh -huh. it it was refreshing All right. so when it was starting to refresh <laughs> that fast it was I was following myself Oh, that is great. Down, down the road. Wow. Yeah. So I just thought, what's the point? Anyway. What I find amazing mm. is, is um, uh, and this happens whenever I speak to you. <laughs> I'm sorry. It is, it is all over the place. No, it's, it's deeply wonderful. <laughs> and, and I wish somebody would make it, um, a biopic at some point in time because there's just so much to talk about. But... I mean, you talk about some of the sort of quirky things about the whole Gupta Leaks thing, but at, at one point you guys were, there was a plan for you all to be evacuated to Europe, wasn't there? Yeah. The whole Mav Daniel yeah, yeah. Maverick. And that, I mean, you know, my, my boss is Serbian or Yugoslavian. He's not yeah. Serbian, he's Yugoslavian. I explain to people it's very different. You grew up in, he's the same age as me. He grew up in Yugoslavia. I grew up in South Africa. So it's very When you say the, the distinction between Serbian and Yugoslavian, you say he's Yugoslavian, mm. not Serbian. Why, why do you say Because that? his entire mental architecture is constructed in the society that he lived in. By this, okay, because you know, Yugoslavia no longer exists, yeah. but in yes. that world. In, in yes. his mind, everyone's your brother. I mean, he had relatives who, like, had a garden, and if they sold vegetables for profit, it would be frowned upon. They wouldn't sell things for profit. I mean, just Yugoslavia. We're communist socialists. We don't yes. do this. So, so the way he manages us and runs the world and sees people is very beautifully Yugoslavian. So yeah. it made me also think about what are we, uh, particularly white South Africans or people who benefited and grew up in a brutal, lying, cheating, killing 
space. You know, what do we hold? What do, what do we yeah. hold? You know, uh, I haven't met Branko, but is he, is he a bit like that Yugoslavian uh, philosopher, the, the, the very unkempt he's one? He's Croatian. Who, who sort of <laughs> destroys like Jordan Hiche. Peterson. I love Zizek. What's his name? Zizek. Zizek. It's like oh, he's great. And he's got There's, a tick oh, in his nose <laughs> and a shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I love him. No, no he's Croatian. So, but he's, he's Croatian. Croatian. Yeah, okay. but, you know, so, but he would... We but Yugoslavian, he must yes, also be from yes, that. Yes, so that's what you know. You have to you have to determine. There are people Zagat. who will call themselves Serbians and the nationalists. Of course, that's why even Branko lost his country. Yeah, big time. You know, so we can't. I lost my country, but I'm glad. Yes, you know, and he lost his, and he's devastated. So it's interesting to talk about these things. But why are we talking about him now? Because he's my editor. I yes. like him. Talk like that. Tell him to fuck. So he called you up and he says, uh, "What does he say when he te- got, tells you the plan?" Uh, uh, the Gupta leaks are out. Somebody's leaked them. No, we got to meet accidentally. Forest. Yeah, yeah, no. That that became another oh, another somebody. thing on the flank, which is just only six hundred of the males, which is some. There's anyway, somebody betrayed the team. Yeah. So before all of that, I've had a long conversation with my partner about the, uh, uh, citizenship and what my children should be, and I refused to get a British British passport because I was born there. You were born in England. My mother Your dad was, was a. My I dad didn't know this, but I think it's in the book. A Peter a PRW. In England. in England, yeah. He was a glider pilot and then he was caught at Arnhem because they sent them all to the last, as that Operation uh, Market Garden in Arnhem, the last part of the war. And he was caught, caught on a bridge by the Canadians who took him to England. And he never came back, to, he never went back to Germany. Huh. My mom was there cleaning houses uh, from Portugal. She, I mean, her mother died when she was six months old. Her father died when she was 12. So she, she, you know, she came from a big family, poor family. I mean, he'd just gone back recently. Um, so she was, she was beautiful. It was like, you know, Elizabeth Taylor. Um, but why have we gone there now again? Because it's, oh, so, so, so citizenship. So, yeah. uh, you know, when, when, when people in England want to talk about nationalism and citizenship, what am I? What am I? I'm everything. I contain multitudes, but most importantly, what I am is South African. My entire architecture, moral, mm. ethical, uh, my love, my, I speak Afrikaans, I speak Iskosa, you speak a bit of Iskosa, I speak a bit, you speak fluent. Sorry, I don't, other I way speak around. a bit as well. Um, so, so my entire being is located here and I don't want a British passport, I don't like the English very much. If I should get a passport, it would be probably be Portuguese, that would be my best one. Do you not have a Portuguese passport? No, no, I haven't got any of them. I had oh. to get the British one because Branco said to me, <laughs> I didn't even have a South African passport. Now yeah. you must know when you talk to people who have had to flee suddenly, um, he said to me, you have passport. So I said to him, no, why, why do I need a passport? He says, no, we, we go, trip. So I said, well, South African passport, not go very far. Visas. And no, yeah. no, Ireland, no visas. So anyway, so I had to get a South African passport. And then there was a discussion in my home about, well, why don't you get the British citizenship? And I've always, it just feels wrong. Rankles. Rankles. Yeah. Rankles, rankles, rankles. And then also getting it. I mean, the British made it really hard. I mean, they want you to know, like, why was my dad there? Yes. What was my, you know, where's the vaults and that? So I just said, guys, war. The Germans were even weirder. Because when I came to South Africa with my parents, I was a German citizen. So someone said, ah, huge, go for that. Uh-huh. So but then you get this, you get the bureaucracy. So you phone them up and you say, hey, when I came to South Africa, I was a German citizen, yes. uh, you know. Um, no, you have to go get your father's birth certificate. And I said, well, I hate to do it. But I'm going to mention the war. Mm. <laughs> Don't. Yeah. So where he lived is no longer Germany. It's now Poland. Ah. So um, what do I do? Help me out here. Yeah, we're a federal state. I said, yeah, I know, I know you're a federal state. But like, how do I work out, you know, East Prussia? Ain't yes. no more. Yes. Uh, I, I, anyway. So I, I know a friend who's, who went through this German bureaucracy recently with applying for a German passport. And he was almost at the the end of his tether. Yeah, yeah. 
and then eventually uh, there was some question about uh, his roots, and he said Jewish. And oh, they just why didn't you say this? Why didn't you say this in the beginning? Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, but but correctly, sir. Yeah. Correctly, sir. Yeah. So for me, it's been, I mean, that's why I look at, I don't like my eyes. I never used to as a child because I thought they were German. I thought they were from the German side. So I've, really, I've internalized Europe and the war and, and my mother's side. Are you communist. in grey context to, no, to make them age. less blue? That's just age. Your eyes go grey. Have you intentionally really dyed do. your hair grey? Yeah. So the Aryan... at, at 60. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've just dyed my hair grey. Anyway, so the, all of those things kind of, you know, are inside you and you yeah. ask questions and those things. And so for me, it was really hard to, to get a British passport because if you had to ask me all the European countries that I could choose from, it would not be Brexit England. It would not be. And then I had a DNA test and there's not a drop of English blood in me. Not a drop. Is there's Iberian, yes. there's Western, there's Baltic states, I mean, possibly Jewish, there's a Marx in the family. Um, so, so I'm not British, but I have a British passport now, which I, I don't want, yeah. you know, but everybody's saying, but yeah. So I could give it away if I wanted to. So I don't know. So it's just, then the discussion was with Branko, who's lost his country. You haven't got a passport. Sell your house, get cash. He's got a wonderful mindset. Yes. Like, how do you move quickly? Yes. Don't own anything, get a passport did and he a do backpack. That? Did he leave That's like what he did. That. That's what he did. And he arrived here on a Yugoslavian passport because the South Africans didn't realize Yugoslavia doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. So, so it was one of those moments. A bit like Kretschow. So well, we like, had Alexander Jovanovic you know, arriving at Westwood High School in, in Standard 6, 1990. We didn't know. We knew he was from Yugoslavia. We didn't know why he was there. Yeah. We didn't have Google. You didn't have Google. And I mean, that's the other thing is I have to say to him, so what was Yugoslavia like? I mean, like a jaw compared to here. I thought we were like, he watched the moon landing on TV. I stood outside my garden in Pretoria with a radio and binoculars, you know. <laughs> talk, talk to us about growing up in Pretoria. I remember this uh, from your book a little bit, but there you are. You leave England. You're born in England. When did you leave? Uh, I was two. So I'm born 61, we arrived here 63. 63, right. And Just after Sharpeville in 60. Wow. Who would know? And you've got this uh, Portuguese mother, uh, Portuguese Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. Your father's uh, uh, ex-POW. Who never goes back to Germany. Never goes back to Germany. Yeah. They both, how's their English at this point? Very, uh, my father's is always speaking English this way for the whole life. Yeah. Including wanting to phone the radio stations in 1994 <laughs> when the elections are happening. Huh? And saying that uh, all these foreigners are voting, he's going to vote. You know, why are they all voting? I'm yeah. saying I don't think you should do that. <laughs> you know, like you know. So he never lost his accent. My mother was very much. She had a stroke at 58 and was speechless for 14 years. But before that, was very much Mariana for 14 years, <clears throat> and then <clears throat> and then she died. Yeah. Oh, right. She didn't suddenly start speaking again. No, she didn't. I wish she did, uh, but she didn't. Um, so, so my and mother, then you are in Pretoria with this very interesting surrounded sort of immigrant. By, surrounded by, by working class Afrikaans kids. Right. So you've got this node of people brought over by the government because my father was a, a, an engineer, a mechanical engineer, and he went to go and work for arms school. And in fact, my father calibrated the machines. Yeah, this is my this is my uh -huh. karma. So so they get the FN rifle from the Belgians, the South African government. It's the 60s, apartheid is raging, they've got to do stuff, but they don't have skills. So what they do, they like the Germans a lot, as we know, the, the Afrikaners. So they get a German in, but the Portuguese wife, they're a bit suspicious. Uh -huh. It's Catholic, it's Mediterranean, they're quite low on our list here. 
but he's probably civilized her, so let them in. So we're in, and my dad works at Arms Corps where he calibrates the machines to make the first R1, and he calibrates the trigger machine. So he makes the trigger for the first R1, which he hands to Fuvuj on the wow. on the uh, on the floor. He personally hands he personally it hands it over. Yeah. So right. I've gone to look for this. You know, this is my dad telling me these stories later on. I mean, my karma on the other side are just communists. My mother's side, just like so. <laughs> yes. My mother's just saying to me while I'm in South Africa, don't speak about what you see. Okay, because everyone's watching, everyone's listening, and you're gonna get you're gonna get arrested. Okay, so my mother's brother was arrested by the P Day, strangely enough, trained by the Gestapo, and Salazar and Hitler share birthdays in April. So I have these people in my life who are uh, whose psyche and worldview and destiny has been shaped by to dictators uh-huh. and they're ordinary people get caught up in the currents of history one way or another uh, make my brother and I in England post-war and then come here even hotter uh. so for me you know I always I never felt uh, I mean I, I always felt like I was a camera watching where I was I wasn't I wasn't like anyone else around me so we had the Dutch people across the road Auntie Miep and Omgher who used to work at the post office and then we had the English people up the road who were they were like they were artisans. So there was this mixture of immigrants who sort of tried to get on but didn't get on. Greeks, Portuguese, surrounded by working class Afrikaans kids who hated us, mm. hated us, which was great because there's nothing nicer than having gangs. I mean, yeah. you know, the gangs of Park Town. <clears throat> who was your gang? I was a gang of boys with bicycles. We didn't have a name, but there was all the kids in the neighborhood with bicycles. We'd cycle around the park and we'd go to the Oppies River. That's where the fights happened. So we'd watch where the Afrikaans kids were sailing their upturned uh, roofs, which we'd get from the scrapyard. Uh, and then we'd destroy them at the end of the day. So, so they hide their thing away. We're hiding in the bushes and then they, and they, they take their clothes off and we take their clothes and hide their clothes right. away. So it was that kind of throwing stones at each other. There was that, that, that replication of, of, I suppose they must have thought we were English, but they hated immigrants more. They really didn't like Portuguese and Greek people. They didn't like the English. They didn't like, so we were the embodiment and they were the like, I don't know, rock spiders in a way. But my Dirty secret was I loved the language. I could understand it, pick it up quickly, and it's part of me. Actually, it's it's not mm. it's 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 I'm not bilingual. Well, I'm bilingual. They're both. You if, are. If you should yeah. ask me to choose what to speak now, it would be Afrikaans, because mm. you can say so much more in it. You know, English is civilized. Yes. Terribly nice. Yes. You know, it's uh, but Afrikaans. You can I can understand Johnny Clegg when I spoke to Johnny Clegg as an Englishman. He was so different from Johnny Clegg speaking Zulu. Uh huh. Uh, and it's the same with you when you speak Kosa, you know that. Yeah. You know, you, it, 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 it allows you to access creative spaces of yourself that English cannot give you. So I'm grateful for that upbringing. I'm grateful for, you know, being, I suppose, a white person in a space where there's a persecution of, of, of some sort because you pick up what it means when they say things about black people. Mm. And you realize, but you're a stati, you're a small, you know, so, um, and, and you're sick. You're not well, um, but there's nothing you can do except live through it. And I've got lots of scars, you know, physical fights. I was a tomboy, I think more so to protect myself. Yeah. Very hostile patriarchal environment where you'd walk to the shop and the car would pull up and there'd be four army guys and they'd lean out and they'd say, if anybody knows Pretoria, they'll know this, Achman, wie was Pustraat? Because there's a street called Pustraat. Right. And then I'd know what to do with them. I'd lean over and I'd say, Kijk, jy rai hier af by Balsakstraat. Daar by Holstraat draai jy links en by Tietstraat rechts. Daar is die straat wat jy so. And then you'd get a guy who would stop his car and they wouldn't have pants on. and be wanking and then they'd call you over for directions. This is what yes. happens to girls. Yeah. And you've got to learn 
to deal with it, you know. So I would come to the car and I'd look at the guy and I'd say to him, see you cock bottle that I can my hand it. I can break with your car and I fucking fool out snake. You know, so, so, you know, you grew up in a neighborhood with mad people. I mean, yep. the country was mad. It was insane, you know. I tried to listen to LM Radio. I listened to Bob Marley. In fact, I moved into a little little grotto outside the house. Anything to escape this place. Yes. What is it? Why are you here? And no one saying to me, we can leave. Uh, it just, it was just, it was a, a troublesome time. But that's where I began to feel that I was a camera watching it all, that I wasn't uh-huh. part of it. Because I couldn't get sense out of anybody. Right. They couldn't explain to me why they were doing what they're doing. It's like, and so given is all, it on uh, me? Given all that, there wasn't really much choice uh, in terms of career other than journalism. And I, I saw you say somewhere journalism chose you, and it, but I mean that kind of that was kind of formative. Well, the, the class that I grew up in and the schools I went to, we were going to be white people who would work at Truist and at the municipality. Nobody came to tell us about universities and bursaries. We were yeah. that group. We were that yeah. group of people who were going to be sent off into the world as little officials somewhere. We were going to get a job, easy peasy, in the bank or, yeah. you know, but there's no high hopes academically. My brother got sent to university simply because that's the way things were. There was only money for one kid to go and in their minds, like, you're going to get married, some guy's going to look after you. He's going to have to look after his family. Understand? He goes. At to what university. point did they realize you weren't going to be following that track? Oh, very early on. Yeah, very early on. I mean, I, I, I just the world felt out of sync to me, but I didn't feel that I was afraid of it. I was, I was like, you know, the thing where you think like they're all mad and you're not, and that that means you're mad. I realized that's not true. <laughs> yes, because there was just you know the inexplicable, irrational. Uh, I couldn't fly in a plane because I was a girl. I mean, so I think my rebellion was, I don't know where it came from. I don't know where it came from. But I would watch Auntie Brechi chasing the belly woman off, off the grass. And it's humiliating mm. to watch a person shout at an adult. And it, it made me uncomfortable. And I would say something. And then my mother would say, this is not your country. Keep quiet. Everyone's listening. So I grew up in that. Mm. She brought with her the fear. And my father brought silence. Because when I started watching the world of war, I started realizing who he is, what he grew up with. Mm. So I don't know why. I mean, my brother engaged with, I think, the children of, of war survivors, whether Jewish or German, live with it one way or another. And my brother got, like any boy, he started building planes and you can tell you about any. So men like to talk about the war in terms of hardware, movements, maneuvers, mm. but they never talk about the cost, the human cost. Mm. So the human cost is what matters to me more. And I did say to my father, you made this gun. You come from a war where 55 million people die, 55 million people, more than are alive in South Africa today, and you make a gun, and you don't think there's going to be a person on the other side of that trigger? I mean, where's the disconnect here? And I just realized that's the way it is. How did he deal with the uh, sort of emotional um, repression of all that stuff? My father was actually a very gentle man. Ultimately, I wanted to find out who are you? without Hitler telling you who you were and without the war forming you. And he was a gentle, beautiful man in many ways. Um, I, I think he split. I think, I think he split. I think he just got on with his life. I think people after the war didn't have time mm. to unload and go to therapy and, you know, work yeah. it out. He'd survived. We're alive. I've got this wife who's cool. I'm, I've got asthma in London and England. I'm coming. The doctor says go to South Africa. I find a job. There I go. 
So the conversation, my father would talk about the war with my brother, but once again, around maneuvers, who was where, yeah. how many ships, Battle of Waterloo. You take it back to the other But in battles. terms of the Nazi stuff, I mean, I don't know, like he was, was he in the Luftwaffe? Or he was he, in the Luftwaffe he said, and he was like any other white South African boy who would have been recruited. Gone to the, to the border. Yeah, he wasn't he in wasn't the SS. Like, no, he was no. in, yeah, but he would have grown up only seeing Nazi banners, Nazi toys, swastikas on everything, the church, uh, Calvinist church. He was a Lutheran. My mother was Catholic, so yeah. we were raised Catholic, thank goodness. Otherwise, you wouldn't have Madonna and Lady Gaga. That religion, <laughs> woo! Plays with your head, eh? What? Yep. You have a lot of fun. A lot of gay people are Catholic. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. Fun religion. Love it. <laughs> oh, you eat the body of Christ. Um, uh, you know, weird shit. And men wear clothes and they wave incense oh, yeah. in your face. And everyone just goes like, this is cool. Nuns wear weird outfits because they're married to Christ. And people tell you this and you go, huh? And they all believe it. Yeah. And you go, well, what, you know, do I speak up here? Or not? I'll just go and jaw. I'll just go smoke dacha and drink and try and move away from all of you. That's what I did. Is I kind of thought, actually, you know what? Gaan an. Yeah. Gaan an met jylle kak. Bob Marley is my savior. I discover Bob Marley and I discover dacha. Everybody yes. asks me, what is the secret of your success? And I say, Bob Marley, dacha, and homosexuality. Those yes. are the three things. That made me that rescued sit, you. That rescued me. Yeah. That made me sit out of sight of society and go, you are all mushugana. Yeah. Mad. Insane. But there was nothing you could do about it. But of course, 94 happens. And so I've been vindicated on many, on many levels. But while you're in the middle of it, while you are living with mass psychosis amongst mm. people, it's not pleasant. So you do escape to your own world and you become the camera. You watch them. Yes. And that's why if I walk into a room now as a journalist, I think it prepared me. Well, that's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, so I've got eyes when I walk in, I'll take in everything immediately. I mean, I will, I mean, it's just, it's just, a, and I'll, I'll have, I'll see who's following me. So I'm hyper vigilant, but it's also, I like it. Yes. The way someone dresses, how they speak. I mean, remember David Machrobo was saying to Zondo, Zondo says to him, why are you switching your microphone on and off the whole time? So, so David Machrobo says, there are lots of people, do you know the eyes of the world are on us and they're watching us, they're profiling us. And I'm thinking, you know. <laughs> Yes, it's no, another lunatic. It's only Marianne. It's only me. It's only Marianne. It's only me profiling. I mean, of course, that's also the that's also great training for for being a stand up comedian. And at some point, okay, well, we'll get to the the stand up comedy and your um, uh, how would you describe quick, it? I mean, I was voted. Riyad Musa was voted most popular. I was like second. Hey, look what happened to us. The person who comes second, you remember the Yuri was, Gagarin? Was that, that was that me. happened. Yuri Gagarin was chosen to be the first Russian. Well, what yeah. happened to the second guy? No yeah. one knows. No, they even took his dog, That's the me. second guy. That's me. I'm that second guy. Wait, so what, was that like 20, 20 years ago? When was 1994, that? 1994, 95. 94, 95, 96, when Marcos started. Right, Mark Lachman. Yeah, who was, uh, uh, there was a Cape Comedy Collective. Yes. That's some idea that I think Mark, Samson. Samson. That's, what, that's And right. someone told you about it and they said, Marianne, you got it. No, no, no. What happened it. was somebody said, I mean, it was quite interesting because I had met Mark um, um, and uh, he just recounted something to me about a job he had. Uh, he had a job as a this credit is Mark Lottring. Where did you meet Mark? Where, I met Mark this? around about then, 94, 95, 96. We're living in Clove Street. It's New South Africa. We don't know what the fuck. Everyone's happy. Mandela, weird madness. Khan An. 
crime spree. But so, so uh, I'm chatting to, to Mark one night and he tells me he, he worked as a, as a, as a credit clerk in, at Truworths or something. And yeah. then, then he explained, he just told me what it was like when you phone a black client, um, an Indian client, a colored client, uh, and a white client, and how they respond to a call from a credit department. And he told me the story so beautifully with such love and so funny that I thought, I've never heard this before. Ah. I've never heard someone telling stories about ordinary South Africans and capturing them with such love and making me laugh and go, fuck, I want more. Yeah. You know, so why am I there now? How did I get there? No, no, that's fine. Where did you and, but, but he wasn't doing stand-up at that point. No, he wasn't. And then, was it you who well, suggested I mean, it? Well, and I got it. He worked with my partner, Glynis, at a company called Common Ground, where I think all they did was smoke cigarettes outside all day and chat. I don't know, it was like some yeah. environmental agency. In Asia. And he was working for Volkswagen Music Active as well, Mark. So I said, I think you should do a show. You know, you can totally, totally pull it off. Here's the pants you should wear, which was a tight pair of camouflage black and white pants and a T-shirt up to here, a top hat, very much like a, a gay... <laughs> I don't know what, Barbie. Okay, <laughs> Barbie. I don't know, like, you know, Mark. Totally, I'm a Barbie Mark, guy. Mark, Mark, Mark totally trusting us. Yeah. I mean, like, I've been, I've been a theatre reviewer since 1982. I don't know. Yeah, 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 thousands of shows. So, we, so then he sorts it out and writes the show after the beep. And it's after at, the beep. It's called After the Beep. Right. And I think, I I think it's because you would like, I think answering services were like big then. Uh-huh. Like, so if you, and was there a lounge, something called it the... It was called the Coffee Lounge. The coffee Brian lounge? Weinronk. Right. Ryan Weinrock, remember Brian the glass? Ryan Weinrock, yes. Ryan Weinrock. He Brian was also Roxy's. And, Roxy's yeah. and all of that. So he had this tiny little lounge up there. And, and of course, I mean, I have to admit it now, it's nepotistic. Mark did the show and I wrote the first review. So like not only did, you know what I mean? Like, For the Cape Times? Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. Uh, great comic new voice. Yeah. But you know what? I didn't have to do any of you the You weren't work. lying. I wasn't lying. No. And he was, he's, he, I didn't do it. He did it. He does it. He's, he is it, you know. Yeah. So uh, that's what I love about my job is I can meet people like you and Karen Zoid. And I mean, you know, just, I mean, uh, Huma Sakela, you know, to sit and talk to Huma Sakela and then get him to sign my book. Um, it's a great job. It's a ringside seat to everything, you know. Yeah. I just had this flashback to meeting Brahu at, um, it was actually a design in Daba thing where they'd invited him just to come for dessert because he had a gig somewhere and I was, I'd, I'd done, I'd done like 20 minutes or something at dinner and uh, I don't think it went well because people had come up to me and go, are you, are you one of the speakers? What, what uh, are you an ar- are you the architect? Well, what did you think I was doing there? And then Brahu arrived and um, just quite embarrassing because I said, we'd been on a, some TV show together where he was the, he had the band and whatever. And I said, Brahu, do you remember me from, I think it was called Bantu Hour. Yes. And I think yes. he looked at me and went, <clears throat> and then he said, like, Jesse Clegg, how are you doing? Um, but maybe that's just the punchline I added in. I can't, you know, when you can't remember. I know, when it becomes real. And but I do remember sitting down, there was a Japanese interior designer sitting next to me and she nearly fainted when you must get her. She, she was like oh, a huge fan. Like she nearly wet herself. And she was just, everything is, and then uh, he said something about the mango. It was like sliced beautifully. And he said something, it looks like a Japanese dessert. Oh. Something like that. And she went, oh, 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 oh. She didn't stop this for like, like half a minute. Oh, 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 oh. Poured the water over her head. And I thought 
Was it like, right? Because he's performed in Japan. She's seen him there. Yes. Is it maybe a, a Japanese re- joke, like yes. a reference yes, to something? Yes, yes, and you're missing it. That I've missed because for the life of no, me, I can't Nick, get do this. Do you get danger pay for your job? Well, because, I, I mean, this is just madness. Eventually, I said to her, did I miss the, is it a Japanese reference to? Uh, Mangoes. To, no, to mango six. or something like yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, six. She, Breast, she, I was like, "What was funny about that?" And she goes, "Nothing. I'd just be polite." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it was a bit racist the way I, no, I did well, that. I mean, but, oh God. Um, anyway, but you know, anyway, so, so, so I've, coming, I've, 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 I get, I get to meet people. Right, so the coffee lounge, the coffee lounge, because this podcast is also a little bit about, about the, comedy. the evolution oh, of South African comedy. So mm. this is beautiful. Mm. Uh, Mark Luttering in the comedy lounge. And then who tells you to do stand-up? Oh, yeah. So I get I get uh, uh, badgered by people saying, look, there's not enough women in comedy, women in comedy, women in comedy. I'm writing. So, like, I mean, you know, journalism pays. It, you know, well, it doesn't pay well at all. Yeah. You know, but, but it's enough. To, it's not better than comedy. Yeah. Let's just say that. So I go and I do a story because... In 94, what starts to happen is you begin to see new voices emerging. It's quite fun, you know. So it almost just seemed to burst at, at, at yeah. a particular point. And Mark and, and um, uh, oh, it'll come to me now. It happens. His wife. Um, anyway, whoops, sorry. His wife. You mean who, who he was married Yeah, I thought he was married. They're traveling up in a, in, a, in a car that's being driven by sunflower oil. So that's why I've forgotten about them. They've oh, sorry. Left. I thought you were talking about a Sam, Sam, Sam. No, Sam and Mark Sampson. Sam and Mark. They do yeah, this yeah. thing. They, they get us on as a collective and they have writing sessions, uh, which I'm already suspicious about. At the lab? Was it At the, the lab? lab in OBS, yep. uh, where you get together and you just bring people. I mean, Kachiso Ladijo is there. I'm just trying to think of all the names. Yeah, I mean, Riyad, just, uh, Conrad. Riyad, Conrad. Stuart uh, Taylor. Stuart Taylor. Yep. Um, um, Tracy Class. Um, I, I've just, you know, a lot of people yeah. are, are young and arrived and interested and, and this comic, this burgeoning comedy thing that's happening because we feel free now and mm. we can say things about each other. And that's, those were the days when most of the black comedians would say, my, I'm the first black. My father was, uh, you know, first Louis black. Yep. Louis, Louis, yep. All of those people. So I was there and, and, was it, and they used to perform at the Armchair Theatre yep. in, in Obs and at other places, at like the Hard Rock Cafe or somewhere, you know, you'd have to go out on, in the night and just like do a gig for a hundred rand. Me yes. and Mark would be at Hard Rock. If you were lucky. If you were lucky and you had to hand in your ID book. And, and like, I'd already worked for 40 years by then. So I like, was like, no, I'm not handing my ID book in a hundred rand a night. No, I'd rather go to the docks and... Wank off a soldier or something. I mean, it's a bit more. Anyway, yeah. so, so that was the, I was there at that time. And I think what happened was... Um, uh, it looked exciting and it looked interesting, but I, the problem with me is I can't stick to a script. Yes. I, I, I have to do sort of a comedy jazz because the minute you give me a script, it's like taking me to Arthur Murray Dance Studio. Mm-hmm. If you tell me a waltz is three steps here, two steps there, I am I am congenitally unable to follow an order. Yeah, can I, even my own orders. So if I have a script there, which is not good for a comedian because you need a script, but I would prefer to have the anxiety of having prepared nothing. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, and that doesn't work. We all know. It's bullshit. You have to have a script. You have to have jokes. You've got to work through them. Not every idea you have in comedy works yeah. uh, or whatever. But it was just fun to do it. And I think Sam then said, we have, need more women. Do you want to do it a little bit? And so I did. Um, but but I, it, it's, it's, it's an arena where you need to... I kept on feeling like a gutted fish after I come off stage. Didn't like the feeling. Uh. So there's something about the energy you need to give to the audience, what you need to receive back. Um, and at, at first I thought perhaps women... Don't like this. It's, you, know, you know, women don't play rugby. Rugby needs a particular kind of attitude. Not that we don't have it. Yeah. But there's a, there's a guy vibe, you know. Testosterone is testosterone. Yeah. It does shit to you, you know. 
Uh, and so I could see the men on stage were very present and in, the, and, and in terms of ego and, and, and receptiveness, enjoyed it. But because women are raised differently, a lot of us, although by now women have emulated the male style of, of, of comedy, I always thought women do comedy better in character. So the French and Saunders, so mm. themselves and as others, because you, you hide a little bit and it gives you room to, to blossom and not only be yourself, mm. because then you're limited only to you. So when you play characters... It's easier. You can make different kinds of comedy. So I just found that uh, intense concentration on me as a person, having to make everyone laugh, uh, uh, disconcerting. Yeah. Uh, it didn't work for me. I like to hide behind a byline. Uh, I want the in fact, what's in. beautiful about going to, um, in the olden days, when they had actual in-person uh, festivals, book what do they call them? Book festivals. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, those things are. Yeah. And these panels and, yeah, uh, and, yeah. and people would come and, and see you. And this is the, the, the beauty of uh, the beauty of it is that we're going to listen to uh, Marianne Tom talk about her new book, Hitler for Wurt Mandela and Me. So we're expecting a serious, and a lot of it is serious, but then you have this comic ability, which comes out of the blue for, for a lot of people who don't know you. Mm. And, and, then, and, and it's like, I mean, it's beautiful to watch. I've watched it. Oh, you did. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, and, then, and then you stop, you stop it at some point because the gutted uh, mm. fish mm. feeling mm. Well, my partner says to you, why are you doing this? I mean, she's a shrink. And when a shrink asks you, why are you doing this? Uh. It's not when your mom asks her. Eh? When your mom asks why you're doing this, you know you're in trouble. Yes. When the shrink asks, you know. So Glenna sees you get back after a few gutted fish. She uh, says, to you, what, you know, you're exhausted. You come back here, you worry before you go, and, and you throw up almost in the car, and, you know, what's, what's it worth? You know, yeah. so I then think, what am I doing? Why am I doing? Why am I needing this affirmation from a large number of strange people who have to pay to hear me laugh? Why am I needing it? You know, uh, do I have a talent? Is it nice to make people laugh? I've used humor in many situations in my life, many situations, dangerous situations. I get the back. Mm. So, uh, have you ever watched, by the way, a dangerous comedy um, by, produced by the same guy that did the Borat movies? Oh, Larry no, I Charles, haven't. I think it is. I might and have. he goes to, uh, it's like crazy, you know, the most dangerous places to do comedy, like Liberia, yeah. uh, <laughs> Iraq, whatever. and he finds comedians. He finds me, and there's this one guy you just reminded me of who kept, he stayed alive by making the Al-Qaeda gods laugh. Mm. That's literally how yeah. he survived. That's what it is. That's why I often speak about the Morphe Voorlooper in the, in, the, in the carnivals, because the Morphe Voorlooper is a person who also, uh, uh, you know, makes you not want to kill me. Don't kill me. I'll make you laugh. I'll make you laugh. You're like me. Um, I'm gay. I'm different. I'm yes. odd. But I'll make you laugh. So I mean, one of the one of them. But by the time I was doing it, practicing it, it, it uh, I was so in it. I'll give you an example. When I first met my partner, we've been together 27 years now. But we go for a walk in Seapoint along the promenade, and she'd grown up as a heterosexual person and took my hand. And I don't want public displays of affection. I mean, four people, have, five people have just been killed, gay people. Mm. And I've said, don't do that. Don't do that, because somebody will look up and see me as the cause of uh, tsunami. And there I am, standing in front of them, ready to be killed. And indeed, that's exactly what happened in Seapoint that night. She took my hand, there was a group of men drinking at the, on the promenade, and one of them looked up and saw it, and started coming towards us. And he came to me, because I had shorter hair, and he started walking next to me, and it was all in Afrikaans. And he said, what is your manfro? fucking manfro. Manfro. So he's in my ear, in my ear. So but you've been trained in Pretoria for many years. Yeah, so I turn around and I say to him, Leister, what will you now implicate? What do you want, actually? What is it you want? I said, because if you look at my girlfriend, um, so he does. And I said, she's beautiful, huh? So, of course, he has to admit that. So I say, and now you want me to be interested in you. 
You're drunk, you got fuckled teeth, and you're threatening me. You don't want to be my husband or my boyfriend. Uh-uh. You would not be walking next to women talking kakya. You'd be on the roof fixing the tiles. <laughs> you would be fetching the bread. Yep. You would be mowing the lawn. So the threat then turns into, you can hear the wires fizzling in the head. Yes. Like, what the hell? And, but I've been doing that all my life. Because what else do I do in that moment? Yeah. I'm not afraid of him. And I want him to say, you really want to get with me, pal? You're interested in me. You, I'm your dream woman, hey? Mm. Let's go. <laughs> you know? So he then says to me, do I want to come and sit and drink with him? I said to him, would you have a drink with you? Lach on his gatten af, off we go. And my partner says to me, where did that come from? In that moment, and do you have to do that all the time? Yeah. And I say, well, when it requires, when it is required, when required. yes. Yeah. It is required. And if I have to get killed one day or stabbed or, you know, whatever happens. I mean, I met somebody in Newlands Forest the other day, but it's just a beautiful stick. And I just comment on the stick. This is South Africa. And he says, yes, he got it after he was stabbed five times and, and, and came to the realization that walking in the mountain with a stick matters. I mean, mm. you know, Portugal, somebody wouldn't say that to you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I suppose it was also growing up in Pretoria. It was also, I think it wards off threats. It, 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 uh, it's also aggressive. I mean, humor is aggressive. Mm-hmm. Humor is hugely aggressive. It's, it's, I mean, and I think I'm better than you. I'm cleverer than you. I know what's going on here. I'm playing smoke with your brain. Whoever you are, I'm going to make you not realize what, what you said in the beginning, you won't believe at the end. So I could be a politician, I suppose. But it's, it's more survival. Well, it is your, your journalistic superpower as well. You it get people to say super- things oh, they maybe weren't I wish some people saying. wouldn't. Do, I wish, wish, no, I don't even have to speak to them now. They just tell me. Yeah. And I've been told things I don't want to hear. Yeah. And I just now listen because it's like I am in a Netflix series every day of my life, Nick. Um, one question I need to ask you, and we ask all of our guests, and it's particularly relevant for you. Um, do you recall one of those gutted fish moments uh, where you came off stage in those early days and thought, that is the worst, that, that, that gig, that experience, this feeling? Yeah. Yeah. What was it? Where was it? Uh, well, I mean, one of the best ones I ever did were, was, a, was a, a gig at Commissa because I think the whole area suited me as well. That's the other thing. Is, 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 Commissa, is, it, was, it, was, it was that old shop next to the laundromat and then there was a Thai restaurant on top of Clove Street. Right. It, was, it was a nice little, excuse me, coffee bar place which had a small stage. I, thought, but, you know, it, it, I suppose it's the feeling that, uh, first of all, embarrassment. Why would you, you know, it's like, you know, like saying to somebody, hey, check, I can do a cartwheel. And then you just fall on your face, you yeah. know, it's like, check ya, check ya, I can, I can, you know, I can shoot that bird with this, yeah. you know, and then it's just like, you know, you shoot the next door neighbor's window out. So there's something about like being an asshole, having got out yeah. there like, ah, and everyone's just like, no, yes. you know, this is not funny. And then you first justify with the audience is not ready for me. Yeah. <laughs> the audience, audience is not ready. And then you realize you know nothing about comedy. Because number one, you've lived in South Africa all your life. Number two, all you've watched is crap on yeah. TV, Biltong and pot roast. And so for you, comedy is hurtful most um, of the time. Uh, comedy is jokes being made at the expense of other people, particularly women. Yeah. Particularly women. You know, you could say, call a woman anything you like. So I grew up in that, you know, terribly patriarchal, unthinking. Uh, I mean, if my mouth moved, men would just switch off. I mean, like, what's that speaking? What yes. are the heads? Yes. <laughs> I mean? It's frustrating to live in a world where you aren't seen or aren't heard. And if you're black, it's even worse. So you, if you get a tiny inkling of what it means to be invisible. Uh, uh, anyway, so if you, if you have enough of a character you want to show, then you do, you know, or you fight back. So for me, it was, I mean, my humor is, it really is a great So you walked out of Kimisa. 
Oh, that was a good gig. That was a good gig. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, I think it was at the, no, I think it was at the at the hard rock that they eventually bombed. Uh, um, uh, not because it was a bad venue. Uh, just because That's it was, right. It was it, a pipe bomb. Was it? Yeah, just bugger yeah. stuff that was going on. Yeah. Um, and I think there were about three people in the audience or four Did people. Did you bomb eating like the, literally before Pugget bombed it? Yeah. Was a sign, and Mark was on that night with me as well. So I mean, but it becomes part of the job. Yeah. If you're with somebody else, it's cool it's because okay. you can laugh. Yeah, because you know that you've and you know when you've when you've lost it. Yeah, and when you're not with the audience, when your mind is somewhere else, you can make an, an audience laugh about anything if you're with them. If the minute you start thinking, you hear yourself talking to yourself on the stage, then you've lost them because you're talking mm. to you. But uh, it's too complicated. Writing is you go out, you make people talk to you, you fetch the documents, you put them all together, you go, 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 there's the byline, <laughs> off you go. Take a Kuiper award, uh, uh, awards from News 24, there's yeah. like a letter, like everybody's happy. Uh, go back easier. to playing Monopoly. You know, avoid death threats, uh, you know, and a few other things, break-ins, but it's it's much easier than comedy. <laughs> and, uh, and the irony is that a lot of people go, oh, but comedy, you have to have, you have to be so courageous. I mean, I think what you do is, I think maybe you just got, you become desensitized to the, to, to the threat of it, maybe. But what I did want to say was um, that I've interviewed other comedians who've, who've walked out of a, a commissa or a hard rock uh, kind of gig and got in their car and just wanted to drive um, as far away from that gig as they possibly could. One guest on the show um, actually did, he did once fall flat on his face as he was walking up to the stage. But after his worst gig, this is KG Mokhali, I don't okay. know if you know KG, yeah. but after a gig in uh, KZN that went horribly south, he got in his car and drove to Pretoria. Now, obviously, you wouldn't drive to Pretoria. Oh, no, definitely not. I wouldn't go back even if you paid me a million. Yeah, no. but he did. He went back. That's where he grew up as well. And what? Carried on doing comedy. And carried on doing comedy. Yeah. So maybe the the thing was that you needed you to, to drive to Pretoria no, from the hard to, rock. You have to. You and have that to. might have saved you. Especially uh, if you'd no, gone to see have, it wouldn't have saved me, his mom. That's who he went to. Uh, maybe she would have convinced like the, We call me. it the oracle. She would have convinced the, the me. comedy article. She would have convinced. I don't me. think so. Okay. No, I mean, I mean, the other problem is with me is that I think my mother raised me with a sense that I can do anything. So you know, that's a bit narcissistic. You know, like, oh, I'll do a heart transplant for you. I know how to do that. The heart. What did you say? The heart. The heart. Christian. It's a Barna. pump. It's just a pump. Um, uh, you see, I, 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 I distract myself. I'm going to distract you with, I don't know uh, how much time we have left. Uh, probably but, none. Um, you can cut most of this out. I know. You see, it's it, it's comedy gold. It's, it's just gold generally. But your dad, I find fascinating because then you adopt two black daughters in when? Uh, this is 15, 16 2003 years ago. and 2005. And I don't know if this is from your book or just talking to you, but your dad, there's something for your dad to deal with. About. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, my you know, my father, I kept, uh, my mother died, uh, I, I can't remember the year now, 2011 or something. No, it was before the kids, 2000, I don't know. She wasn't, they, they weren't, she wasn't there when they were around. I mean, at the dates, it's time continuum. COVID is just, I'm back in the, yeah. I'm back in the, you know, in the wars, in the Viking ships or something. <laughs> I can go there. Um, have you watched The Norsemen, by the way? I haven't, should I? You have to. 
No, Matt, yes. what is it? You, you know, uh, when we sit on the benches oh, no, for the Viking no, can't deal with and that. The, the icicle gets a little bit numb. What are you talking about? The icicle. What is the icicle? You know, the bit between the perineum and the anus. I call it the icicle. We don't call it that. I've always called it that. <laughs> you have to watch it. I'll watch it. I'll watch it. Um, so my dad, you know, my brother leaves for Australia. So we replicate, uh, my brother and I replicate uh, family history of, of, of diaspora and never no connection ever again. So my father never connects with his family in Germany again. He comes here. My mother never connects with her family. I grow up thinking just four people atomized in the world is perfect. Mm. I marry into a family of lots of people and I don't, I don't understand what is a, a great uncle and an uncle. So I've actually even not oh. got the capacity to hold on to kinships. I don't know what nephews are and nieces are. I don't know right. them. I've never had such things. Yeah. Uh, my brother leaves with his son, Alexander, uh, to Australia, and he's there. And so my dad's alone here with me. You know, he's his lesbian daughter um, with his two black grand. Well, first, the first time I tell him we're, we're, we're thinking of adopting, I go and tell him, not for his permission, but to tell him. And the first thing he says to me, he looks at me. He says, yeah, but you never answer your phone. What? Well, you've got to read dog whistle that, which means you can't raise a child. Right. I mean, right. You know, yeah. So I said to him, you've never been to my house. You don't even know where my phone is. I'm not even here to, to, to ask. I'm telling you. Yeah. I'm going to become a mother one way or another. The child is going to be black and you are going to behave yourself. Because if you don't, I don't come and see you with a child. I'll come and see you still. But I'm not exposing anybody else yes. to this cuck. Um, and of course, it turns out to be the greatest love affair of his life. The greatest love affair of his life. He falls in love with his children, but he also, as a, as a German, at a certain point with my first daughter, adoring her, playing with her, singing. I say, what is that song you're singing? Sing it louder. Is it her? Is it? Is it? No, it's not. It's a normal children's song. You have to watch the Nazis. You never know. I mean, they used to go, So he looks at Leila, uh, my daughter, and he's, he says to me, she's so beautiful. Who would, who, would, who would give such a child up? He says, but he's also realized since 94, that black people have got lighter skinned. So his, his, this weird thing was happening in his mind where he fell in love with a black person, but he had to make her whiter, uh. you know? So it, you just realize the trouble that, that people have because of ideology and what everybody else tells you of just experiencing pure joy and love, which is what my daughters experienced towards him. Yeah. The smelly old German grandfather yeah. who they adored. When he got sick, he came to be with me. When he died, my youngest said, can I have his teeth? <laughs> I said, that's really weird. And then she said, can I wear a tutu to the funeral? I said, you can do whatever you want, darling. Yeah. You can have it. And are we opening it? So I said, I'd love to. Are we opening what? The coffin. They oh, get right. kids when people, you know, when right, the budget right, right. dies. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's just, that's what, how, that is what we should do with death. That yeah. is really what we should do. And also while I'm crying, we're saying, I want a peanut butter sandwich. You know, like, you're my mom. Yeah. Right now, I don't give a shit about dying, death, whatever else. I want those teeth that I saw in the glass. That was cool. <laughs> are they around? I said, no, they're in his mouth. Uh, pretty. I said, no, it's gross. <laughs> it's just tiny. Um, but, but what developed was, from their perspective to him, just sheer unconditional love. Mm. And I went to visit him a lot because that's what you do with parents. And you uh, long to, I mean, I'm so grateful for the conversations we did have. I wish we had more. Um, because it's unusual to find somebody coming from, from Germany surviving the Second World War and being a perpetrating class and understanding. My mother lost her speech. I didn't get to hear anything about Portugal. Mm. Nothing. Until I lit a, a candle in a Catholic church in Antwerp. And then I found a whole country and a whole language. Uh, and so that's a whole other story. That's a beautiful story. And maybe... Some other for, time. For another no, time. it's a long story. 
So I've got that stuff now. But I mean, the comedy, I think I've worked uh, with Zan News and Jonathan and I, Jonathan Shapiro. Well, you mentioned that. I, so that's actually where I think, we, I mean, I think we'd connected before that. Yeah. But that's yeah, when we spent a lot yeah. of time together on the... Uh, the satirical Papa Charles Zeta News Zan News That's where right. you were you were the yeah. chief you were so, so my comedy is more utilitarian it's practical it gets you know it's not it, I, I prefer that it, I don't mind sharing ideas for comedy with other people if they work or don't work or because often the idea is there already and the muse just throws it mm. to you and you and I mean Jonathan and I talk all the time around the cartoons and and if an idea if you think about something long enough the two poles you're looking at so let's say we're thinking about Tokyo and being scammed if you think about it long enough you'll come up with something and often it's the same thing because mm. you are going to eliminate all possibilities that don't work in a joke or in a punchline um, so anyway so so I, it's still there um, uh, I, I can't do the I can't do the clapping and the, uh, and the bowing and the and as I've got older I've had le- I have less less and less need to be visible I don't need to be visible in fact I'm I wish I was invisible completely invisible I'd have such a jaw such a jewel. Um, but comedy actually keeps me alive. I love it. I love people who are funny. And, 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 and I think it's a way of making sense in the world in the most sane way. You know, otherwise you're going to put bombs somewhere. You know. What drives your comedy, do you think? If mine is, mine is, ang- mine is anger and, 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 and uh, aggression towards the system and stupidity, mostly. Mm. Just things you can't explain to me. And that's why we laugh, because we all know we do stupid things, including me. So... When you tease out common things in people through comedy, they see themselves better. It becomes a mirror. And that's the most important thing anyone can have is a mirror, you know. What's, what pushed you? It's a good question. I'm not entirely clear. It certainly wasn't from a place of... It was from a place of curiosity initially, like... Um, I grew up with um, that guy up on the wall there, Percy C. Okay. He yeah, was yeah. my godfather and okay. an actor and a radio guy and whatever, but a brilliant storyteller. Mm. And a lot of the stories, he grew up, his first language is Afrikaans. Okay. Um, Ewert grew up in a, I think they owned a hotel in Malkbos. Yeah. And so he, his, his stories were very much on that sort of species and place kind of, mm. and I would memorize them. I wrote them down in a little black book and I memorized them. And then at about 14, 15, I started taking my friends camping up on the mountain and I would regurgitate these his stories his stories okay. yeah 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 and and I just had a fascination with that and, and the ability to make people laugh. I'd sit around the table and watch him and then watch people and, and it's like, wow, this is, it felt like magic. Um, it is magic, but it's also very dominating because what starts happening yeah. is you get to a table and people are talking cuck, you know what I mean? And, and as a comedian, you're supposed to be engaged in life. Yes. And then somebody will say, to, you know that they're selling those chops there for 27, 30, <laughs> rand, nine a kilogram at Chica's whatever you yeah. know, and someone else checking about the latest colors that are in and you're going i can't i can't sit here yeah yeah uh, how do you to, talk to it's I, like a, i, I don't agitate, know you said this you know uh but i I've, i often think to myself um i've got to go to this party and talk to civilians yeah, civilians well what i do now is i you know i have to explain to people they must forgive me for what i am i've done a job which has immersed me in reality in the 
most appalling parts of reality. Oh. I've seen many dead people. I've seen raped people. I've seen chopped up people. Um, I've seen poor people. I've seen horrible things as a journalist. Um, and if this is how I'm going to, if this is what is going to manifest as a result of internalizing that, understanding it, uh, then you've got to take me as I am. I, I, I am going to be, if you're going to talk cuck to me somewhere, I, I'm going to have to cut you off because mm. I haven't got time. You know, I'm trying to do it gently. I try and, but, but uh, I, I've been rendered useless socially. Totally useless. <laughs> you don't want me at a party. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I'm going to want to like go at nine and, 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 you know. Um, I think that uh, I, I uh, give thanks that you have been rendered useless uh, socially because I think that you have applied your energy and invested your energy into far greater projects. And um, which leaves me, Marianne, to say thank you for coming to speak I mean, to me. Thank you every, for... Not just here, but every time I see you and we speak, and we speak like this, yeah, with, with your back to the wall of the coffee shop. Of the coffee shop. And, and me... But thank you, for, uh, Nick, for being interested. That's also nice, you know, because in a sense, um, I live with myself and my head and my family lives with me and that's fine. So, you know, um, but I know how much enjoyment I get out of my friends like Tom when they talk to me or you or Mark. I mean, when you spend time with people who are engaged, who can articulate that, who can interpret that, who can make it, your life becomes so worthwhile, you know. So, so it's like, invite us to dinner. You mustn't talk. We will. Yeah. Um, but I have been, I have really, I mean, I know too much. Um, she knows too much. I do know too much. Is that song crazy? Does that make me crazy? It does make you crazy. So I have to take away all these things I know, but I sleep well at night because I know too much. So I yes. tell my children, I know what's going on in Jacob Zuma's head right now. I know what Tokyo is doing. I know what's happening in SAPS. I know what crime intelligence is doing, breaking into my and house. And you know, I mean, we, we live in a, uh, obviously even increasingly uh, uncertain times. And uh, that's one of the things I hate. Unprecedented times, pivot, new normal. <laughs> oh, Shut up, pivot, um, pivot, I'll kill you for pivot. Um, but of course, uh, with the collapse of independent newspapers and that old story, which we, we won't go into in, in, and the, um, the rise of the Daily Maverick, where people actually could get Oh, you know, uh, in a world of like fake news and whatever, what's actually going on, and delivered in, in with your razor sharp intellect and wit and uh, kindness and I'm compassion. I'm moving in. I'm moving in. I just um, want to tell everybody another thing. Don't think. I mean, at the age of sixty, for the first time in my life, I'm earning a proper salary yes. at sixty. Yes. I mean, like, there was a time when literally at 45, I had 100 bucks in my purse, but I didn't care. I would say to the kids, okay, like, let's work out how much we can buy with this. Let's go 12 rand 95 spaghetti. And so, and so they do maths. My kids would do maths. But that's another thing. When you, when you go against the system, there's enormous rewards in terms of personal growth and intellectual growth and traveling and whatever else, but you will pay the price. You will never earn money. You'll earn scraps here and there, and someone will feel sorry for you, and they'll do this and that and the other thing. Until you come fully into your ability to own what it is you're doing. And I've just met somebody who, I'm out, I can't work for corporate media, I'm too ungovernable. Uh, I'm happy to waitress if I have to, to feed my kids, I, I don't care, you know. And so I've met somebody who sees me and who loves me and you've done this now as well, you know, and, uh, for, and really at 60. So if you're not earning enough now, and you questioning about it. Wait, I'm like Benjamin Button. Yes. So like, you know, I, I'm going to go backwards. Went on pension as a baby. And then like as yeah. a 90 year old become fucking fabulously wealthy because yes. I'm going to connect with Tokyo Sehwali. 
Yes. And we're going to do a thing together. And um, who is the white boy spiritual, what is it called? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, look, it's, it's a, the CIA have warned since 1962 about it, but clearly nobody's been, you know, it's a guy called Goodwin Webb, who in 1972 was already arrested for fraud uh, uh, related to like 1.5 billion back then. Right. But a little bit of research, I could help. Look, Tokyo and I to me, it sounds like together. a collection of Shabbat songs from Danny Kaye. Like the just, white boy spiritual. I know, but you know, like Trump had the Proud Boys, and uh, Tokyo's got the white spiritual boys because I mean, they're both apprentices, they're both tycoons, they're both probably going to be president one day. Well, one's been, other one might. That's what I think is going on here. Is the lunacy that that lunacy? So Tokyo kind of like shit in the ANC, maybe Ace, maybe Cyril, who knows? Zuma. Hmm. We're all meeting for tea. Let me just zap one in there, man. Let's see where it goes. Marianne, uh, thank you for exposing the lunacy, for helping us deal with the lunacy, for sharing your own lunacy. <laughs> for And you're not going to like this, but maybe just for saving the country because we don't know what would have happened if those things hadn't been revealed in the way that they have. And, 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 um, and for all the stuff you've had to go through uh, to get to this point of flowering, I see that that look at that around your neck and you are you are blossoming and you are making a huge difference for thousands of people you would prefer to remain in, invisible for. We know that. But thank you. And it's because I love them and I love this place. I have never in my life come across a place like this and I will not go anywhere else. I mean, if I get shot in the car outside on the in the road, I'm happy. I would have lived in one of the most magical, painful, difficult places in the world that's made me human and that's at, at the cost of others so it's a pleasure i would you know give me the order of the baobab hashtag we staying thank you we love you we love Goodbye. you too thank you cut fucking brilliant thank you well i hope you enjoyed that rather all over the place discussion i kind of think of it as joining the dots with marianne tum did she smuggle with your brand? Because she definitely smuggles with my brand every time I see Marianne Tam. And it's it's normally not a conversation. Well, it's never been a conversation I've shared publicly. I've always been sitting in a little restaurant in Newlands with her back to the wall, my back to whichever gangster could come from behind me. So it gives me great joy to finally share this conversation and Marianne Tam's brain with you because it is astoundingly brilliant. Anyway. There we have it. Uh, as you can see, there were no meds for ADHD back in 1970s Pretoria. And thank goodness for that. Marianne Tam has this expression. I don't know if it's hers or someone else's, but she talks about it being five minutes to midnight. Like we are perpetually five minutes to midnight in this country. And recently after the riots in KwaZulu-Natal, um, I messaged her saying, is it five two? And she said, no, it's more like two minutes to midnight. But we will pull back the hands. And that's what I love about her. She has this incredible realism, but also inspirational optimism. Like, no matter how shit it's getting, we will pull back the hands. And when she says she's never come across a place like this, this country, South Africa, it gives me hope. It reminds me of how much I love this place and the people in it. We should give her the order of the Baobab. Cyril! Give Marianne the order of the Baobab! Thanks for tuning in, guys. Next week, I don't know, who the fuck knows what next week will bring. <laughs> but it's going to be interesting. Goodbye. <laughs>